Ladies and gents, boys and girls, welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. And we've got a bona fide Olympic hero on the podcast today, none other than Kristen Armstrong. Well, what can I say about Kristen? She's an incredibly down-to-earth person, which is no surprise given that she led a relatively normal life before coming an Olympian at the age of 30. As an athlete, she won a bunch of gold medals, no big deal. Now she's one of the most respected cycling coaches in the world. We chat about that transition from athlete to coach. We also talk about tracksuits, time trials, and time machines. So why not don your own favorite trackie, pretend you're Olympian on a rest day, unless you actually are one, stick your feet up and enjoy the pod. Hello, and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again. Matt Stevenson unplugged by Sinus Kristen Armstrong is a three-time Olympic champion, having won the women's time trial in Beijing, uh, Londinium, uh, that's Latin for London, and Rio de Janeiro, uh, which is Brazilian for Rio de Janeiro. She also has a number of world championship titles to her name, also in the TT event, otherwise known as the Chrono in Europe. Now that she has switched to coaching some of the best and most promising athletes in the US and Canada have to offer, I was keen to find out how her competitive attitude and dedication translates to the coaching role. I was also keen to share my own memories of the Olympics and compare notes on the temptation of free Pizza Hut and Magnum ice creams at the Barcelona Games of 1992, and whether the trend continued at the subsequent Olympic Games attended by Kristen. Fascinating stuff. Check it out. Well, first up, uh, Kristen, um, thank you very much indeed for joining us on this podcast. because it's absolutely boiling hot in London. And I understand from where you're in the world, it's it's scorching as well. It is. Um, I think that we've had about three weeks of over 100 degree weather, which is also about over 35 degrees Celsius. So it's been hot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just, just before the podcast, I went out for an hour Um just around Richmond Park, and I had to have like a 10-minute ice-cold shower just to try and get my body anywhere near uh, normal again. But uh, but just before we do crack on, Kristen, as it is great to have you on, on board, especially with the Olympic Games coming up, but for everybody, just to set the scene for us, can you tell us where in the world you are and also describe the room that you're in? So what can you see immediately around you? <laughs> oh, I'm I'm in Idaho which um, the city I live in is, is Boise and we are not Iowa, we're Idaho. So Idaho is located in the Northwest portion of the United States. So if you go to the very tip top of Idaho, you'll cross the border to Canada. So I always like to explain where Idaho is and the room, the room I'm in, it's funny you ask it's I'm surrounded by Olympic bikes (laughs) and world championship jerseys. So how funny is that? I, have my helmets on display. I have my bikes. I have my skin suits, and then I also have world championship jerseys um, framed, whether they're from myself or other athletes that have been become world champions. So, yeah, it's definitely a very, I would say, inspiring room. Right? Is it is it a room where you work, or is it a room where you work out? So, is it like a Zwift room or a Zwift cave, or is it just a different cut, or is it a study? Oh, it's steady. It's uh, definitely an office is set up with my husband and myself. So we have our own stations, our own working desks, because heaven forbid we share. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so, yeah, it's definitely where um, we work because, well, we've always worked partly from home, regardless of COVID forcing us to work from home for the past year. Right. And so it naturally just became um, also my Zoom background for all the virtual calls. But when I Zwift, I Zwift in our downstairs area in our home, which is more of a what you would think of as more of a, a Zwift pain cave. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, uh, thank you for setting the scene so so beautifully for me. What I will ask you to do, actually, um, at the end of the podcast is maybe take a little cheeky video so we can have a little look at where you are because uh, I'd imagine it is, as you say, absolutely inspiring stuff. And, of course, I've always wanted to kind of – we've talked on a number of occasions, primarily when we've worked for, for Zwift. Um, we'll talk about our only other encounter a little bit later on, but – the Olympics is just around the corner, only in a few days' time. Um, how, as the defending, you know, the, well, you're not going to be defending, but you are the, the current um, time trial champion. Um, how, do, how do you feel now with it around the corner, knowing that you're not going to be competing? How, what kind of mindset are you in now? Are you excited? Are you thinking, God, maybe one more time? Or are you just happy? <laughs> uh, so so wh- where are you? Because I'm sure you're obviously going to be watching because you've got athletes out there. Um, but ha- how do you kind of feel about the Olympics now? Yeah, it's really interesting. That's a great question. I This is going to be the first Olympic Games I haven't been to since Athens in 2004. And so that, first of all, whether I'm an athlete or not, is going to be very different if you think about you know, 16 years of my life, it's been focused every four years on the Olympic Games and performing. And so um, it does feel like a little bit of uh, a gap. I am very fortunate to have athletes that I've coached that are going to be participating in the Olympic Games. But sitting back is a very different experience. I always say that uh, as an athlete, one of the most important things that athletes need when they decide to to exit the sport is they need to have their own closure and I would say I didn't have closure the first two times I quit right. because or I retired because I came out I came out of retirement twice and so I came out before London and then I also came out again after I retired after London before Rio so you can see that uh, closure took me you know eight years to, to figure out but I can tell you that when I crossed the finish line in Rio and perhaps maybe before Rio, I felt like I was ready to close those doors, um, competing at least. You know, I think that I am one of the lucky ones as far as having accomplished what I've accomplished in the sport. So it helped me also help bring me to closure. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, th- I think I, I, for Tokyo, I don't have the desire to be out there competing like I used to. Uh, I used to watch races before London or watch races going towards Rio before I retired. And I just wanted to be out there. I could hardly even watch a local race. I just wanted to be racing. And yeah. it's very different now. I um, I don't have that desire. I love riding my bike still. Um, but, you know, one of the things I will be doing during London is, you know, NBC is, um, you know, obviously a big Olympic sponsor in Locally, as far as uh, across the state of Idaho, I'll be joining their sports sports team. So I'll be on covering the Olympic Games every day, right? Which will be a fun, different way to to fill that maybe the gap of being part of the Olympics because the Olympics is 
you know, you're an athlete, but also the Olympics is the Olympics. It's yeah, it's just something so much larger. And it, it must be, I mean, to to have that kind of transition, although it's been five years this time, of course, because of COVID-19 mm-hmm. last year, there's been this delay, but to have that kind of lovely transition to still be involved in actually a couple of ways. I mean, working for the media is one thing, but having athletes that you're coaching involved as well, that must be, bring you a really different sense of satisfaction. The media thing is one, but to have people learning from your experience and, and looking to you for advice uh, to get them into the right place to to try and go for a gold medal, that must be massively satisfying for you as well. It is. And it's interesting. I've learned a lot around coaching athletes who are at this level, at the highest level of sport. And what I realized is that my emotions are quite similar to when I was an athlete because I'm so invested in the athletes I coach that even the last two weeks, I've found myself uh, having a lot of angst and a lot of stress. But when I sit back and ask myself, well, why the stress? It's just the same because I care so much about the execution. And I, I don't want on my end to make any mistakes when it comes to the preparation to the games, um, both on and off the bike. Yeah. And, and so I can't tell you how many times I rewrite training and rewrite training and the athletes I coach don't know this, but right. <laughs> I will go to sleep and I will rewrite training. And it's the same thing that I used to do as an athlete. I would go to sleep and I would review the course and review the course and all of a sudden you'd be asleep and then you'd wake up and you'd be like, oh my gosh, it's another day. But wow, um, the heightened stress of delivering as a coach is very similar. So I guess the good news is, is that I know what it feels like and I can get through it. And I also feel the anxiousness of, of the athletes. And so I can help really set uh, the stage in trying to not take anything away from all the hard work they've done. Cause I yeah. think quite often, especially as a first time Olympian, you know, you don't realize this until you come home after your first Olympics. The fact that you think, oh, I'm in control. I'm not, I'm not nervous. I this, I this. And you get home and you're like, oh, if I could just do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know how it is. You race and you're like, oh, if I could just have a redo. Oh, so, definitely. No, no, no. no. Um, I mean, for, <laughs> just, just for the listeners, uh, Kristen, of, of the podcast, you, you just remind us of the athletes that you have actually in Tokyo, the, the riders that you're coaching. Yeah, so I have um, two riders that I'm coaching right now. I um, am coaching Haley Batten, and she's a 22-year-old mountain biker from the U.S. There's three women who were chosen for the Team USA. And I also have a rider named Emma White. And Emma White, she comes from a road and cyclocross background. She came over to the track in 2018 And she's um, a young writer as well who will be competing in the team pursuit. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's, I mean, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, mountain biking, I mean, there's, isn't something that I'm aware that you've participated in, but I, I guess it's, <laughs> but that's a really, I mean, that's just, I, I, I didn't know that. I mean, um, that's why I asked the question as well as for everybody mm-hmm. else. It was for me as well. And also 
you know, the fact that you're involved with a team pursuit when it's a kind of team event, that's really, really interesting. How do you, because they're, they're both massively different um, demands from an athlete, aren't they? So, so how, firstly, have you got your head around the kind of mountain biking as, as a discipline? Dissect that a little bit for me, because that's fascinating. You know, mountain biking, yes, you're, you're correct. I, I love to mountain bike myself. I do not race on the mountain bike and never have raced on the mountain bike. However, coaching, the way I look at different disciplines is you really just have to break things down to what, what's the demand of, of a race? What's the demand of what you're trying to accomplish? Sure. And years before coaching Haley, I uh, was coaching Emma White, who was on the road, who focused on time trial and road racing and criteriums. And she also was an athlete who competed in the off season in cyclocross. And that was the first time as a coach, I was asked to do something very different than what I thought I could coach. I was like, well, I coach road and time trial. What are you talking about? Cyclocross. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's no question you don't want an athlete having, you know, three different coaches. Um, so I basically took the race of cyclocross and, and broke it down and look at the demands and thank goodness for the power of, uh, power files, first yeah, of all, yeah. to, to be able to kind of break down what is required and what are the demands that are needed. Um, above and beyond, you know, you have to look at the, the physical portions of a race, but you also have to, when it comes to cyclocross and it comes to mountain biking, wow, the skills that are, that are needed <laughs> are... Yeah. Are really incredible and so luckily for myself as a coach both emma and Haley, their technical skills are are world class they're right. they're some of the best and if you haven't seen video of the tokyo mountain bike course <laughs> i should check it out <laughs> it's, it's quite it's quite unreal in fact i've been watching uh a, this two minute segment i have this video clip i have of, of a rider basically tackling the rock garden. And I wouldn't even consider these rocks. I would call it a boulder garden. Right. <laughs> and they become man-made courses. And so the women and men both race on the same course. And, you know, you have to make it super challenging. And I can tell you what, the, the course in Tokyo has become quite challenging. You know, cr um, cross-country mountain biking has changed over years. I know that when I first started riding my bike and racing cross country courses were sort of like, you know, up to three hours in distance, they yep. would head yep. out. You wouldn't see them. They'd come back and it wasn't super technical. They would be out more just riding single track on, you know, depending on the area you're racing, it could be more technical than others, but now they're making it so that it's spectator friendly. It's circuits. They're, the women are doing five laps mostly. The men are doing six laps. You can see shots throughout the entire course, and they're building these courses. Yeah. And some of them, like in Tokyo, they've they've built them to be challenging. And so the skill set's really really important. And so there's obviously it's no different than adding people to your performance team. So. Um, we'll work with um, a technical uh, specialist, I would say, so that, you know, Haley is continually working on her skill set when she's descending and going through the technical aspects of different courses. 
but when it comes to the physiological pieces of it, it's, I look at it as now that I have the confidence in it as a coach, I look at it as we're riding a bike. We're all riding bikes. It's just a matter of what are the physical demands and how are they different than what I know best, which is time trialing. Yeah. I mean, just thinking, just hearing you describe that, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, and I would imagine as well as the data sets you get back, you must learn as a coach about the way that your riders adapt to a certain set of training, a, a, a kind of certain training plan, and then the kind of all of the other demands that are laid over the top of that, especially in a sport like mountain bike with all the kind of the, the, the kind of stresses. Um, and do you, because I guess it must be like a two-way process, which must open kind of multiple doors for you into constantly trying to kind of optimize the athlete's performance. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. (laughs) It is, it's really, um, I call myself, I think one of my strengths as a coach is I'm, I'm kind of a mapper. So like, I love mapping processes. And it's like, even in business, I find that I have kind of an innate ability to see what, where we're trying to go, and then back that up, and really figuring out, well, how do we get this foundational piece and then how do we add layers? And yeah. quite often, as you know, athletes will start with foundation and, you know, right away. I mean, I, I look at Haley, for example, and I think she's been asking me, even prior to qualifying for Tokyo, I think she's been asking me about heat training for Tokyo for like the last 12 months. And I'm like, Haley, <laughs> this piece is going to come. Yeah. But there's a okay. few things we need to do first. Right. <laughs> so okay. it's interesting how an athlete's mind you get so far ahead of yourself that you just want to do everything right now. Yeah. And so I have to take a step back and say, how do we develop the biggest engine possible so right. that we have a foundation? So we are just a, a generally a strong athlete. In fact, there was a time this past spring that I was joking around with Haley on a call and I said, Haley, I'm not even going to go here, but I'm just going to mention this because I can't help myself. I said, have you ever been on a time trial bike? And she's like, no. Why are you asking? And I'm like, oh, just saying, just from all my breakdowns on all your training and your numbers. I'm like, just put this aside for a second. You could be a pretty darn good time trials if you wanted to be. Right. And then she's like, really? I go, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Okay. Back to mountain biking. Oh, you, you sowed the seed <laughs> there. Blimey. <laughs> I know. So I do see different talents and different riders, especially when you're starting to work with uh, different Athletes who they've fallen into a discipline in our sport because it's just what they were exposed to. Emma White, for instance, we had this great conversation around her goals. I started coaching her when she was young, junior. And we had this conversation around what what are your goals? What do you want to do? She's going to university. And and I said, what's your childhood dream? And and she said, well, I really want to go to the Olympic Games. And I Mm. said, well, okay. That's great. I said, cyclocross is not in the Olympics, just an FYI. Yeah. I said, so we're going to have to take that on the side for a second. I said, so you can look at trying to make the road team. Um, but, you know, I also know there's some talent ID camps coming up through USA Cycling on the track. I said, you are one of the most powerful, fast individuals I've seen. Yeah. And she's like, really? And I go, oh, yeah, you just haven't you haven't seen it. You've been on development teams. You haven't had a proper lead out. Like there are so many things that you haven't been exposed to yet that you can really choose whatever you want. You have the engine, but 
one of your specialties is that you're really fast and you're really powerful. Sure. And she's like, oh. And I said, you know, at the end of the day, if you go to one of these track camps, talent ID camps, it doesn't mean that you're going to love it. You may not like it. But the number one thing is when you bring the track to your training, I can guarantee you, Emma, it's only going to improve what you're already good at. And so you have no loss here. They bring you out there. You do amazing training. What do you have to lose? And she's like, oh, that's, that's a great point. So she goes out there and she doesn't look back. They pick her up. They said they've never seen anyone so smooth on a track on the first time. She continues to go to track camps while she finishes university. Uh, we had the hard conversation around, we have to put cycle cross on the back burner for now because you can't be good at everything. Yeah. And she did. And, and now she's, she's going to Olympics and she's fulfilling that dream. And I believe that team USA are medal contenders and wow. I mean, life changing. <laughs> it's going to be very, very exciting indeed. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm kind of privileged as well. Uh, I'm going to be commentating on the road, the men's road race and, and the men's. Oh, time awesome. Trial. Yeah. So, so that's kind of, and I, I did do the Olympics long, long time ago, back in 1992. So I've had a taste, uh, no, nowhere near the level of success that, that you had Kristen, but it's, I think it's timely to ask you that the question, because for me as a young man, I was only 22 when I went, uh, it, was a prof- it was a profound experience just representing my countries. It's, and I've ridden multiple world championships. It's nothing like it. It's, it's something beyond. But from, from your perspective, as well as being a three-time Olympic champion, I mean, what makes the Olympics so special to you as an athlete? Well, you know, I... Um... I don't really think I realized the first time when I became an Olympian. So you think about having a childhood dream, you watch different sports, you know, for me as a child, I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer because they had their caps on their head and they had their name on the side. I'm like, that would be the (laughs) coolest thing ever. (laughs) Like it was about nothing but like the glamor of being on TV with your name on your cap. I mean, let alone swimming fast. That didn't matter when I was young. So you think about that mainstream sport that you were doing as a child and you're like, wow, the pinnacle of sport in America truly is the Olympic games. If your sport is in the Olympic games. Yeah. And so getting there is something that you just kind of dream of, but you never think it's kind of like being an actor and actress in Hollywood. You, you never think you're ever going to get there. You just think it's kind of your hope. You're like, awesome. So I go through high school, I go through college, think about it. I graduate college, I'm well on my way to to a career and yeah. I pick up a bike and I start riding and it becomes kind of my thing and I'm not in the Olympic Games. I don't make the first Olympic Games until I'm 30 years old. Wow. And wow. you're thinking, how can this childhood dream be coming so late in my life? And you get there and you make the team and no matter what people say, you make the team and you're like, whoa, yeah, that is yep. <laughs> beyond wild, my dreams. Like, yeah. And so now I'm an Olympian. But the first time around, I wouldn't say I thought about how, yes, you're a competitor. You're going to show up and you want to do well. But I will tell you that it wasn't the same my first time versus my second, third, and fourth time. Because the first time you're like, I'm an Olympian. Let's celebrate. Let's be part of the opening ceremonies. Let's take selfies. Let's do all these fun things. Yep. It necessarily, I got home from Athens and I was like, whoa, 
that was, oh, oh man, Kristen, now I want to do is go back and like win because you almost take in the whole experience versus, I don't want to say you don't go there to compete, but you almost forget. Yeah, You almost forget to compete. And so that experience in Athens was, if you ask my husband what his favorite experience was, he would say Athens because we had no pressure, no stress. It yeah. was truly about being an Olympian. Yeah. And being an Olympian tr- to me is about going to a new host country each and every time, experiencing different cultures. Yep. Because I'm telling you what you think about from Athens to Beijing to London to Rio. Whoa, there are some different things yeah. every four years that happened yep. at each of those sites. And so I think that uh, experiencing the host country's culture is important, but really I absolutely loved being in the Olympic village. You would be in the cafeteria and you would see people all dressed up. It's almost like we're all in these outfits that you probably wouldn't wear outside the Olympic village. They're, it's almost like <laughs> yeah. Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, you're so excited about these like team USA clothing. And you're so like the pride that you have wearing your countries and representing your country. And you get home and you're like, I just walked around for a week in this outfit. There's no way I'd walk outside my house in this outfit. It's, it, but it's, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's a really, really, uh, just looking back at, at Athens, in fact, and I think I need to mention it as well. You were, you know, you were top 10, you were eighth in the road race. And yeah. then you went on, you know, to, to win the time trial, the, the, uh, yeah. the, next, the next cycle, as we yeah. all know. But just, you've really kind of hit the nail on the head on, I mean, just to reflect on, on my experience a little bit about being an Olympian, for me, it was, although I, you know, I did okay in the road race, it, it just the overwhelming experience of representing your mm-hmm. country, I think it did maybe diminish my athletic, uh, not my ability, but my mindset was less focused on the event itself than more the experience. And and as a, as a young man as well, I don't, and there was back then, there was no real mechanisms in kind of place to kind of to shake to get, shake us by the shoulder and say focus on your race. I'm not saying I wasn't because I had great preparation and I yeah, I did yes. the best I could. But the whole thing was, oh my god, I'm an Olympian, and I just couldn't not keep looking at myself in the mirror with my GB tracksuit on and uh, and like going and having sitting down for breakfast in this enormous canteen, and then Boris Becker sitting next to me and me talking to him over breakfast when I was that sort of weird. It was like. There was nothing on else. None of my life experiences have come anywhere close to the the high that I got of just being an Olympian. Yeah, I think that you <laughs> nailed it there. I, I 100% agree. In fact, later in my years, to think about one of the ways I would gain confidence prior to my event, when I looked at the start list, I actually, no kidding, I would go through the start list and I would highlight all of the first-time Olympians. Because right. even though they're great during the season, I highlighted them because I knew that to be a first-time Olympian and to get on a podium would take something very special because of what sure. we just talked about. Yeah, sure, sure. Not their ability. Yeah. It's getting so involved in the Olympic spirit, which it's not a good or a bad thing. It's saying, wow, yeah, that's how powerful the Olympic Games are. And there are many people who, you know, from there's so, you know, think about all the different countries and, you know, sometimes that is your goal when you go is, Hey, 
I know where I stand. I know that I'm not capable of being on a podium. And so I am here to celebrate. Yes. And the energy around you, and I was always so fortunate because the road race was always on Sunday after that was day two. And the time trial was always on Wednesday um, on day five. The blessing of that is nobody, like there weren't any other sports who had finished up their races or competitions yet. So there was none of that even greater uh, celebration happening around you, which was, thank goodness, I couldn't imagine being there in week two or going into week it's three. Just, just a party, know. basically, just a, like oh, an end of is, term it, party. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's right. You said it. You said it, the party. I... The, the energy, the party, the, the late hours. Um, but, but again, I think, you know, even you, you start talking about um, just preparing physically for the event. And now you're actually helping athletes, depending on which Olympic games it is, everyone's set up differently. You're now talking to how you're pre- preparing to be in a, a dorm room. Yeah. yeah <laughs> How are you preparing yeah, yeah. to eat in a cafeteria? Right. So we have to mentally prepare athletes. So when they arrive, they're not like so overwhelmed that it's, it's distracting. So that's some of the strengths that I feel like I can bring to athletes at this level is saying, yeah, when you walk into the cafeteria, the longest line is going to be McDonald's. Did you know that the longest line is McDonald's? And they're like, what? And I go, come on, don't fool yourself. Everyone wants an Egg McMuffin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I tell people who are not Olympians, I tell my friends these stories and they're like, well, they have this idea in perception that all athletes eat chicken and rice. And I'm like, oh, if you only knew. If you only knew. I'd never, I mean, I don't think we had a McDonald's in, in Barcelona, but what we did have, we had a pizza hut. Uh, oh, yeah, separate, see? separate to the dining area, uh, yeah. outside a full size pizza hut, and you just walked uh-huh. in, and it was free. And then yeah. there were these freezers everywhere, you know, Magnum ice creams, just full oh, of yeah. Magnum. I, there were so many weird distractions, and it was, you know, I really, I mean, we were like lucky because the road race was day, day two for us or day one. So I'd done my road mm-hmm. race; I wasn't doing the TT, so I, I had like a holiday afterwards. But um, I've, I've never really had this discussion with somebody about, you know, about the kind of relationship between the Olympic experience and then your, your own event. I mean, it's really interesting that you can bring that experience because there's, and that advice, because there is nothing like it. I mean, uh, even the world championships, you know, the, the other big event every year, that's just like any other race in many ways, isn't it? Apart from the fact you've got a national Jersey on, because there's no village. It's just a normal hotel and the routines are very parallel to what you're used to in terms of your, your preparation. But the Olympics is just, it's like going to another planet and doing it, isn't it? <laughs> It is. You, it's almost like you've landed yeah. <laughs> and there's no reality anymore. Yeah. You are shuttled through an airport. There's media everywhere. And the next thing you know, you're in an isolated arena and you obviously you walk in, I'm thinking about some of the movies I've watched lately. You walk in and you're, you're like the hunger games. Like you, your outfit completely changes. Like now Kristen, you are this now, you know, and you walk around, you make new friends, you try new foods. I mean, all within like the week of your competition. It's, it's quite fascinating. 
And like you said, I don't, I try to explain and kind of lay out the experience, but I really do think it's hard to understand until you're part of it. And uh, for an athlete, it's not always, I mean, do you think about how many athletes have a second chance? And yeah. I was told this at the world championships before as well is you don't often just because you made a world championship team or you become a world champion doesn't mean that you're going to get this opportunity again in life. Yeah. And so it's hard for me to say, Oh, to my athletes. Oh, you know, this first time. Okay. So the second time we're going to be like, you can't say that you're like, no. this is it, you know? And so yeah, I try to really best prepare them. And one of the tactics I have is I, I try to, really make them think through the situation and and make their own decisions because you don't necessarily want to take away the experience for them either. So you, I, I've been very careful with um, saying, you know, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that if you want to perform. It's more about, you know, some of the things you need to think about. Uh, you know, Haley was in Frankfurt Airport yesterday and She's like, oh, I'm so dialed. I have, I, I made the best meals for the flight and the food prep and ah, oh, I feel so dialed nutritionally. And so I said, oh, I said, well, do you have enough food so that when you get off the plane and you get your COVID testing and the process and the time that's going to take, oh, and then the two hour drive you have to where you're staying, have you prepared for another six to 10 hours of process with food? Do you have enough food for that? And she's like, Oh my goodness, you're spot on. I probably should go get some more food to be prepared somewhere in the airport. And I go, absolutely. Right. You know, so she's not thinking that you're going to get there and you're going to potentially, depending on how your flight has just tested as far as COVID, if you have anyone on your flight that's tested positive, you are going into quarantine. Yeah. It's, and you don't know how long of, that's going to be. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, I guess that's a, another conversation, but that's an added kind of layer that's, that's going to make, that's going to make Tokyo, I'm sure it's going to be an exceptionally in exciting games. Um, and we've, the kind of world's waited so long, but I don't think we can um, ignore the specter of COVID-19 at all. And there's going to be a, the, the, its own, as well as being otherworldly anyway, uh, doing the Olympic Games, there's a whole new different set of demands that everybody's going to have to cope with in their own way. Just to change tact a little bit, although I, I'm still going to keep it Olympic themed because I kind of need to when I've got you know a three time Olympic champion on the end of the line. <laughs> if you don't mind, if you don't. Oh mind. yeah, no, no, uh, not at all. Um, so looking to skip forward from your, your first experience um, to 2008, and just looking earlier on today when I was doing my prep, looking at your your results on the road. I mean, your I guess because of your success in the Olympics, and then let's not not forget two uh, world time trial titles as well. Um, you're an ex- exceptional road rider. I mean, and when you look at your trajectory from a road perspective, as well as, you know, you regularly won on the road, podiumed in some big races, including second in Flanders, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, en route to the Olymp- winning the Olympic Games. But I just want you to tell me as best you can, and I know you've done this before, but I'd really like to hear it from yourself directly because I haven't heard it from you. Um, just that kind of lead into the games, you were clearly in amazing form, but how did you get it kind of right on the day? Um, and, and what was that feeling 
like when you finally saw that that, that you that you'd posted the best time? <laughs> you know, I think that that question gets asked a lot to me around how did I nail it on the day, pretty much in August. Um, you know, obviously we know that nailing it on that day is not super easy. Yeah. But I would say that one of the biggest differentiators that I did versus my competitors was I always placed myself on a trade team that 100% knew that I could not be on a full road racing, international road racing calendar and still perform in August at a level. Yeah. Yeah, So as you see, there's a lot of um, riders out there that sign a contract with a, a trade team. They get paid a salary and now they have a schedule that they're required to do. And I wouldn't say that always the Olympic games is a priority for that specific trade team. Yeah. They want their athletes to do well, but they also have other races on the calendar, like, you know, the uh, women's world tour back then it was the world cups. And then you have the stage races. We had so many stage races when I was back there. I mean, it wasn't just the Giro. It was also um, tour to load, which was another 10 day stage race in France there was, um, you know, Turrigan, which was right after the Giro. And then you think about these big races and they lead right into the Olympic Games. And so I think that where I had it more dialed than others or where I continually focus on how do I control my calendar to make sure I don't have too many race days prior to the Olympic Games? Yeah. And how can I peak just as I would in a world championship year? but just basically eight weeks earlier. And so on the Olympic year, we would adjust that calendar as if August was my September. And so if you sure. look at my world championship results after Olympic games, they were horrifying. Like, I mean, I mean, I mean, that depends. I mean, f- uh, by your standards, yes, but a lot of people would have a fifth place in the world time trial is pretty good, but I completely get your point. Yeah. 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 I mean, in honestly, um, but they were like to get that fifth place in the world championships after winning like that fifth place was like, you can't even, that's a, that's a result on paper. If you saw the struggle in those eight weeks leading to that fifth place, it was like pulling teeth to even get me to go on a bike. I didn't even want to ride my bike. I was so, I I picked and, and focused so much on that one day. It was almost like if I was on a team where they wanted me to go, finish out the European schedule for that year, I, I might feel like I might collapse. Yeah. <laughs> like- it's re- yeah. It's, it's really, I mean, again, I'm going to make a very loose comparison. And I, yeah. I, as I said, I, I've only done Olympic games once, but I kind of focused on the games at a great run up. I had good form. Unfortunately I crashed, but I rode well. I was kind of up there at the sharp end until like a lap to go. But following the games, my, my ability to psychologically focus just, was so diminished that I've, I've never experienced anything quite like it. I don't, I wouldn't say I was depressed, but it, I just, my, my, I think I rode a few more races. I rode the Tour de l'Avenir and came third from last after being, you know, you know, trying to, I was in the breakaway in, in, in the Olympics, you know, so it was, but yeah, I, 
post Olympics, I, I found it really hard to actually focus and even get any motivation to train hard, and I just struggled for the rest of the year. <laughs> it was such so that, that I mean, I think yeah. that just because it, it's such a tight focus, isn't it? The the, the the Olympics. It is, and you know, when you think about, and this is very interesting. I would love to get your thought on this. I'm going to reverse and ask you a question now. Okay, okay. <laughs> I've always been <clears throat> curious in America we're driven by ball sports. You know, everyone knows football and soccer and baseball and basketball. And uh, I would say that cycling is not a mainstream sport in in the United States, but the Olympic games is 100% the pinnacle of all pinnacles when it comes to being an athlete, whether you're a mainstream sport or not a mainstream sport. When I was in Europe um, and based in Europe on, on, um, you know, European teams, it wasn't spoken. The Olympic Games was not spoken like it is in, in the United States. It, it was the World Championships. That was those rainbow stripes on your arms were like you can even top that, as yeah. my teammates would say in Europe. In in America, you ride around with rainbow stripes, and people are like, "What are what are those?" Yeah. Like that's honestly <laughs> the differentiating. Like it's kind of like I walk. I would never be known in America for uh, nothing changed in my life when I became a world champion in America. Nothing. My contracts didn't change. Nothing changed. Wow. It only changed when I went to Europe and I would be, bike race would be in town, let's say Flanders. And people were like, oh my gosh, you're Kristen Armstrong, you're a world champion. And I'm thinking, yeah. wow, no one's ever spotted me out as a world champion. In America, it's, whoa, that's an Olympian. So, it's viewed upon very differently in America. I, I think in the U, it's similar in the UK. I think there's two levels here. I don't, I don't think it's just, I think to the general public throughout the world, I mean, this is very kind of loose, but from my experience yeah. and speaking to people in Europe and in, and in the States, to the general public, the Olympics is bigger than anything. So, but when you go to a bike race, especially in Europe, it's about the work. Those rainbow bands are so coveted. But outside of cycling, an our small world, and and we forget mm-hmm. there's a very very big world outside cycling. Um, th- those the rainbow bands are kind of you'd have to explain them to somebody basically. Um, but you don't have to explain anything about an Olympic gold medal. Everybody, it's in at some level. Most people in the world, it's at some level of their consciousness, isn't it? You know, and now yes. at the forefront. But cycling isn't. Um, so just the fact it doesn't really matter what sport you do, an Olympic gold medalist, you are, you know, it's it's far it, it transcends kind of sport almost. So I would agree with you, but I don't think it's just country based. I think it's just the general public see individual world championships far more differently than the Olympics. Even if you're just a casual enjoyer of sport, the Olympics is it, isn't it? You know, apart from maybe the World Cup or something like that of football. But um, so I, I think you are right. Uh, but within cycling. Well, to actually saying that, Bradley Wiggins did was quoted as saying he thinks you know the Olympics is is far bigger than being being a world champion. Although he loves the rainbow bands, and and obviously you're one of the few people that that's got both as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it's um so we went off on a real tangent there, which is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, we did. That's what that's what I I do love about this that these conversations. And thank you for but but so let's get back to my. It was a multifaceted question, so it's my my fault, I think, a little bit for leading you down the garden path a bit. But winning that gold medal, I mean, 
what what was it like? I mean, I, I, I know you've said it to people before, but finally, when I, and I, I don't remember actually what I, obviously I saw it, but I didn't know at what point on the course you were, whether you were in the hot seat or at the point that you knew you're Olympic champion, um, describe the feeling to me. Well, first of all, though you get times in the earpiece from your coach and though possibly you feel internally that because of the times you received, you, um, know that you've become an Olympic champion when you cross that line and in Beijing, you know, I was down actually to Emma Pooley at the top of the climb. And it wasn't until the downhill that I made up my, all my time. Right. And I crossed the line and I knew there were um, more riders behind me to finish. And though everyone was celebrating because everyone had Intel on where everyone was on course because of the GPS tracking and such, I didn't never, I was always an athlete that never trusted the final result until the last person crossed the finish line. Right. Okay. Because um, it was, uh, you know, that was obviously I was lucky enough that I always got to start last after Beijing. Cause when you're the reigning Olympic champion, you get to start last. Yep. So that was uh, in Beijing. I'll never forget. People were celebrating around me and I was like, imagine just like frozen. I was like frozen wanting to celebrate but not believing anyone around me i was just like don't celebrate with me almost like i still have several minutes to make sure that people who cross the line you know don't make up that much more time in the last like 2k and so is it was interesting how you almost don't trust things until you see it for yourself but there's nothing there was nothing like the feeling in london and in rio when if you watch my finishes in both races, when I f- cross the finish line, the timing system on the top of where you cross, it always basically says your name, the time, and then next to that is a number. And that yeah. number is going to be whatever number. And I had always turned around after crossing the line, even though my coach would say, congratulations, you've just won. It was still this... I had to always look back at that <laughs> that number and see the number one. Yep. And um, you know the Olympic Games, the the margins between the riders are. Whew, I mean, it was a forty four minute race in Rio, and I won by five seconds. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible how close those margins are. But winning the gold medal, I can truly say, this might sound just for a second cheesy or this is what everyone says, but it's the honest to goodness truth getting on that Olympic podium and listening to your national anthem with like your, your country's flag being raised yeah, and looking out in the stands and seeing people that, you know, that, you know, helped you. Um, for me, it was having my family, my son, there is nothing. In fact, we talk about me coming out of the sport and and coming out of retirement twice. There were a lot of reasons why I did come out of retirement twice. However, I didn't want to jinx myself by saying that a big part of it was I wanted to relive that moment again and again and again. Okay. And the only moment I'm going to miss in Tokyo, it's not all the hard work that 
I put into it and it's not all the stressful days and all the meltdowns and everything that goes along with trying to get there. Yep. It's going to be that one moment where you're just like looking out. And I mean, I'll, I'll never forget waking up the next morning because you're just scurried off to the media and you don't even know what ha- happened, honestly. <laughs> I remember in Rio, I woke up and I was like, because you dream a lot prior to the games, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, you know, like I got to the race and I didn't have my shoes. Like, you know, you have these freak out dreams yeah, where you're yeah, like, yeah. what's happening? So I had this, I woke up in Rio, i never forget. And I was like, it was like four in the morning and I was like, whoa, have I raced yet? And I looked to the right and there's my gold medal next to like my bedside. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that really just <laughs> happened. <laughs> wow. Oh, it just, um, it's just hard to believe. And even these days when I meet somebody, you know, dip- different people in your life will introduce you differently. And some people will be like, oh, this is my friend, Kristen. And then it'll be funny, like, oh, did you know she won three gold medals? And I'm like, oh, stop. It's so, so uh, uncomfortable. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the person that, that walks around and wears that everywhere. And so, so a lot of times people are reminding me, do you know what you accomplished? And I'm like, yeah, but we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> it's um, No, it, it clearly, it's. I guess everybody kind of deals with it in, in kind of different ways. But you've, um, you know... I, I can't imagine what it must be like. And that's why that, que- I think that's why people who, who are friendly, who you're friendly with and want to introduce you. It's just because to most people, just like doing the Olympics, you know, when it had crops up in conversation from my perspective, it's like, wow, you know, but then to say that you're an Olympic champion is just like beyond. So of course people are, are kind of proud, you know, and maybe not even, it's not even about the reflected glory. It's because it is something truly magnificent that you've achieved. And, and it's really interesting that you said, well, you described its addictive quality and that's why you kept coming back because, um, you know, winning at any level uh, is addictive. And that's why, it is. You know, ap- apart from the endorphins that you get from sport itself, whatever sport you do, and I know back in the day you, you were a triathlete before you came into, mm-hmm. into cycling and focused on that, but just the endorphins from training, uh, what makes, you know, cycling about sports so addictive, but it must be another level getting a gold medal and I can see why you wanted to come back and knowing that yeah. you could do it. Uh, but I've never heard anybody say that was the reason I just wanted to experience that again. That's really, really interesting. It is really addicting and winning is fun. I like to win even in a card game. I, I'll be at Christmas time and my family would be like, can you just play a game without wanting to win? I go, actually, I probably wouldn't play the game. Like I have no reason And it's the same thing happens when I'm riding on Zwift. I have friends who follow me and they'll say, every time you're out riding on Zwift, I feel like you're just like hammering. And I go, I am. There's no reason for me to chill out on Zwift. It's a competitive environment in my, like when you're surrounded by thousands of riders, you can't tell me you don't want to just keep on trying to hop on people. Like it just is addictive. Uh, Yeah. And it's my personality. And, but I do tell people one thing. I tell athletes I work with, you can have a great idea of where you want to be in accomplishing, you know, you want to be on the podium, you want to make the Olympic team, you want to win the Olympics, whatever it is. The number one thing in order for that even to come together, you have to enjoy the journey. You have to enjoy the highs and lows of what it takes to get there because it looks pretty. It's actually, it is it's not glamorous. 
yeah. by any means. And I think that sometimes we think that we're alone when, when we have these highs and lows, when we're trying to get to the pinnacle of sport. And people used to always talk about my age and they used to say, oh my gosh, she is a mom. She's so selfish. She's over 40. She's done. I mean, there are some really hard things that happen with social media these days. Oh God, yeah. However, it wasn't about physiologically whether or not I can compete over the age of 40. It really, and somebody once told me this, so this is why I'm sharing it. It really came down to your mind and your mindset and yeah. what's between your ears. And can you go out and endure the endure the pain that it takes every day to go out and train and and want to hurt. And yeah. that's where I know when, when I go out and I want to hurt, it's by my choice. Um, it's not someone telling me anymore that you need to go out and you need to train hard and do that. That is really what helped me find closure is I was just mentally, I wanted to hurt some, but I don't want to hurt every day anymore. <laughs> so um, I just think it's really important that it's the journey that's the coolest part because you can't really predict the outcome. Yeah. And so you have to enjoy that journey. Yeah. And you hope that the stars are aligned and there's a lot of luck on your side and, and that you take home whatever it is you're trying to take home. But again, it's not worth it if you don't enjoy the journey. And I loved, I loved every, there was hard times, but I, I really look back and there isn't any regrets I had throughout my entire career. It, it was amazing. No, it's it's, it's uh, you describe it so so wonderfully. I must admit, I'm kind of I just want these next few days to kind of hurry up so we can get stuck into the games actually. But uh, uh, can you hear that noise? A strange noise in the background. What's uh... random question alert? Oh, random question alert. Random question alert. It is time for a random question. Oh, Chris, <laughs> sorry, I didn't. Uh, I, I I forgot. I, on the um, Matt Stevens Unplugged podcast, um, we have. Well, an old computer was installed in my loft, and every now and again we get this random question that's generated, and I've never seen it before. So I do apologise. <laughs> We've gone right off off piste here, Kristen. Um, okay, so I honestly have not seen this question, which has been given to me by this very old computer. I think it dates back to uh, the Soviet era. Um, anyway, what animal would you like to be reincarnated as, and why? What a good question. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so we have gone. Oh. I, I do apologize. It's part part of the deal when you come on this pod, Kristen. Um, great chat. And then we just go completely left field. So what animal would you like to be reincarnated as and why? This is something that I asked my 10-year-old. <laughs> well, now it's mom's turn. Wow. Yeah. I... Wow, that is such a hard question. Oh my goodness, you got me here. <laughs> There's so many animals, not to sound awkward, that I could be. Um, that if I came back, but I, I've always wanted to fly, so I think that I would probably be some type of bird, like even even like an eagle. Um, yeah. I think that I would love to experience life in a different way. Yeah. And to be able to um, kind of set out on on different adventures and in different journeys, and uh, to see the world in a different perspective. Right. I was. That's a great answer. 
That's a great. I when I just read it that question, I I actually thought bird or uh, a whale. Um, so oh. I could, yeah. So basically, I think because we can see the land in you know pretty pretty well, can't we? But to fly and look at it from another's perspective, a bird, and also something that's way up the scale. It's like um. What do they call it? An alpha predator. So basically, I'm not going to be eaten by anybody. So <laughs> that's, yeah. that's rule one. So eagle, I don't think, apart from humans. Uh, so I think I'd be a whale, um, just exploring uh, the oceans and, and especially up in the Antarctic and stuff like that, um, just to turn the question on myself. But really, that's a cool answer. What a cracking question as well. And as your son, because your, your son's Lucas, what did he say? Or what do you think he would say? What do you think he'd be? <laughs> you know, he talks a lot about being uh he's talked about flying but he also at his age he talks about uh, animals such as like you know cheetahs and things that are fast yes and um so he talks about you know what would it be like to be a lion you know so he has i think sometimes at this age you think a little bit more of some of the maybe the animals that you see in movies. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think if I was 10, I think I'd probably want to be, like you say, a lion, tiger, panther, mm-hmm. or even a shark, <laughs> something like yeah. that. Yeah. No, I think but, exactly those are the things that he would say. Yeah. So that actually, that answer, and it wasn't planned, leads me into, I am going to wrap things up soon, but there's one question that I really wanted to ask you, and that, and that it's a lovely little segue, actually, into this question, uh, Kristen. Um, how did becoming a parent change you in relation to being an elite athlete? Then, of course, it would, if I'm, I'm correct, you had Lucas in 2010, and that's when you went on your first of your kind of sabbaticals for want of a oh, retirements. But, I mean, after that, you've won the Olympics twice, but how did being a mum change you or did it change you? I would imagine it did because it's, I mean, I'm a dad and it's one of the, it's the best thing in the world being a parent. It's hard work, but it's, it's so rewarding. But how did that change you as an elite athlete? How did you look at, or did you look at things differently after that? Oh, hundred percent. It was the best thing that ever happened to me prior to having a child. I always said that I would never come back to sport because once you have a child, that's, it's not about you anymore. Well, things changed pretty quickly after having Lucas. And I decided that, hey, this is about showing Lucas, um, kind of bringing him in and being part of my journey. Because Mm. I look back now and I think, wow, if Lucas wasn't part of my cycling career, he would only know a piece of who I am. And so to be able to bring him into both London and Rio was phenomenal. However, how it changed me as uh, as an elite cyclist is I actually, to, to this day, I say it's my secret weapon. And people are like, what are you talking about? It's so hard. And I go, <laughs> yeah, it actually just provides balance, but it also gives you a great sense of perspective. When you come home from a really hard training day or you have a horrible day, you have this smiling little kid that doesn't care one bit around how your bike ride was. <laughs> or your results. And so it put things (laughs) in perspective of uh, life is just so much greater and bigger than, than racing my bike. And when I had that every day, when I walked in to my house with Lucas, just smiling and saying, mom, let's build Legos. Let's play. Let's go to the pool. Let's do this. Yeah. I put everything aside and I feel like it took a layer of stress away from me because 
no matter what the outcome was as a bike racer moving forward, Lucas was the best thing in life. And yeah. so nothing, nothing could go. I couldn't lose. Yeah. So what? So I lose a bike race. I have Lucas. It doesn't really matter. No one cares. <laughs> that's so that's a, that's it a actually helped me. That, that's amazing. I mean, what about from a, a physical, because you, you talked about, oh. so you, you were, you were, you know, you won your your final medal um, mm-hmm. in 2016 in your 40s, which is completely mm-hmm. unprecedented. Um, but what about then your, your training? I mean, yeah. each Olympic each <laughs> Olympic cycle would have been different. And, and when you look at how long you've been riding for, I mean, yeah. just the advances in, in in understanding of endurance physiology. I mean, I know you're the national mm-hmm. coach. Are you still the national coach? In the, you, no, I'm you, no longer the national no, coach. But, but, I, I switched you, my career. Yeah, that's it. But you were for a while. So, and you would have seen this enormous acceleration in our, in our knowledge so and you were you know you won three olympic games in succession i mean so how did your training kind of change you know coupled with the fact that you weren't getting any younger and and to a lot of people yeah. you would have been past your best i mean uh, i use that loosely yeah absolutely you know i think that's a great question because um you know you think about the transitions i went through i went through how am i going to get back after my whole body changed i mean yeah I mean, let's get real here. You're looking at yourself nine months pregnant and it's not a pretty sight. You are not looking or feeling like an athlete anymore. You feel overweight. You feel, and these are all healthy things for your fan or for your, for your child in order to have a healthy child. But at the same time, your athletic mind does not go away. So you can, it's a big, you know, mind tease because you're, you've been so focused on what you, what uh, just keeping your body so uh, tuned, like, yeah. and and fit through all these years, and then it changes in nine months, and you're like, whoa. So after that, I remember um, when I announced my comeback, my coach Jim Miller. It was so hard for him too because he's like, I'm like, well, where are we starting? He's like, well, yeah. <laughs> he goes, we're going to start with just getting fit again. I go, Oh, great. You don't even know how to talk to me right now because you know that I <laughs> need to just get fit. And he's like, "Awkward." we're going to, we're going to focus on aerobic fitness. I felt like I was going back to like the nineties. He's like, right. you're going to go walk and we have to wait for you to be able to sit on a saddle again. And you know, all these things cause my body had truly changed. And one of the, my favorite things that he told me is he said, cause I had Lucas in September. He said, Kristen, your only goal until January 1st is fitness. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you walk. I don't care if you run. I don't care if you ski. I don't care. Just focus on fitness. And I was like, oh, no, I can do that. That's amazing. Right? Like, think about it. Like, you can't just take someone that just had a baby straight to like hard training. And so he took the, think about the sleepless nights. I mean, he took that level of stress off of me and so I did. And then obviously my first race was in March and I'll never forget showing up to the airport with like Lucas and my pack and play and my stroller and breastfeeding. And I was like, what has <laughs> happened to me? This is the stupidest wow. idea I've ever had in my life. Right. So what took me nine months to have a child took me, I would say, I'll never forget it. Cause I tell people now, um, it took me another nine to 10 months to actually kind of get back to my place. Yeah. And when I did, I actually, and they always say that women after they've had a child within that year kind of have this like superpower boost. Okay. And I would say that like, I felt really, really good after about 
nine to 12 months yeah. where I'm like, whoa, okay, I feel really good now. But I remember suffering through it really hard. I would be out in races and I'd be suffering so bad getting dropped. I'm like, oh, this is how everyone else feels when I was super fit. I'm like, okay, sure. this is just my, I used to talk to myself, like, this is just my way of like going through this whole process. But it's good for me to know what everyone else feels like when, you know, like I was super fit and people were getting dropped and I wasn't. And now I'm getting dropped. And so I had a much greater appreciation for, for everyone. And so um, as far as training, changing both in London and Rio and getting older at the same time, I would say that I became, I was always, I never did pointless miles or kilometers. I was always quite a quality trainer versus quantity, but this became now quality over quantity in a big way. You know, I, um, I would say that my training as we know, when you get over 40, some of that top end goes away pretty quickly. Yeah. However, I can get back to my threshold. I mean, if you told me to get back to my threshold in the next six weeks, I can get there just because of all my years. Yeah. It's what happens after that threshold. So I actually trained a lot more VO2 and anaerobic than I did when I was in my 20s and 30s. Yeah. And so I felt like in my 20s and 30s, I was building my engine. And as I got in my upper 30s, post having a child and becoming a little bit older, I focused more on, it could have been sets that were like, for example, three sets of three by three VO2, or it could be, oh, I focus a lot on doing my 2040s, 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 right? So always trying to bring anaerobic elements into my training to make sure that I can keep that threshold or my time trial, you know, it's always like about that 105% threshold, that was a big key piece of, of my training. Yeah. That's, um, it's really interesting. I mean, cause as you, I mean, I, I found, cause I, I raced till I was a kind of 41 and I was doing, as my career went on, I was just doing less and less volume, but more and more intensity. And it kept yep. me, it was amazing how actually I kind of often thought when I was 38, 39, why on earth didn't I train this smart when I was in my twenties, you know, and I, <laughs> because it was just smart. And also, um, I had, you know, I was, I was working a lot back then as well. And, um, yeah. I was managing my time. And I think with that, you having a you know kit with having Lucas as well, you've got to make sure I would, I would imagine that you've got time for your kid as well. You got, you want to spend time with those. So suddenly any, every single part of the day becomes important, especially the training. So you just got to really, really make it count. And it's amazing how well you can perform when you just train smart, isn't it? And of course, when you make sure you rest as well. Yeah, I would say that I've brought that into, I coach, you know, younger athletes, and I've brought that whole method into them. And it's interesting, because there'll be, oh, there'll be blocks where they're with their trade team. And it always comes back that everyone around them is doing more than they are. And I, yeah. and I said, listen, there is a time and a place for, for more, yeah. but it gets to a certain period where more is not better. And yeah. it's just, a, it's just a trust. And it's, I always like to um, educate, you know, along the way, but I'm trying to take everything I've learned throughout my career and apply it to, to, you know, other athletes. I, I remember the days when, if I missed a day of training, I would, oh, I was a freak show. Like I freaked out. 
And then yeah. all it takes is, you know, you don't want somebody to break their collarbone or you don't want somebody to have a setback, but honestly, it's kind of necessary for you to trust rest. Yeah. And once you go through a period of like having a child, resting a lot, or having, you know, I had multiple surgeries, until you go through that, you don't trust that rest is better. But when yeah. you go through it, I always say that people are like, how did you make it to four Olympic games and not burn out and hit and nail that day every time? I said, well, I will definitely say that in London, I came back 22 months before London. So guess what? I had almost two years off Wow. as an elite athlete. Like, I mean, I rode my bike. There's no question, but I didn't, I didn't train like an elite athlete. I was retired. I worked. And then after um, London, before Rio, I came back 15 months before Rio. That's it. That's amazing. And so I had two and a half years of a break where I worked. I worked full-time job. I, I love riding my bike. I rode my bike. But I always tell people that if I didn't have those two-year breaks between each of those games, there is no way I would have enjoyed riding my bike still or have gone and probably come out of retirement again because I would have just burned myself out. Yeah. No, that is, that is, it's a, it's a fascinating story. Um, I know we've gone off on different sorts of tangents, yeah. but there's, it's, it's been really, it's just been amazingly interesting getting, getting into your kind of mind, if you don't mind, Kristen, um, the, the mind of a champion, but, but also now in this, this second part of your life, passing on all that immense experience in all its different in all its different guises to to young athletes who've got it all in front of them and um you must feel you know with your son growing up as well you must be in a period where you're feeling pretty content I, I would imagine yeah it's it's great I obviously still try to find pinnacles in life a lot of times people would say oh you know people ask me all the time why do you why do you work why do you why do you start a new business I have a fit I have fitness facilities in my town yeah. And people think I'm crazy. And I just always look at them and tell them that it's just who I am. I am driven by always trying to um, reach new heights. And now I feel like I'm working on not just, it's not about me anymore. I've turned things around and I've developed programming that is going to help others. Sure. And, and so, yeah, I still work hard each and every day but it's, it's by my choice. It's what I want to do. And I want to maximize, um, my life. It's been, well, I tell you what, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, this hour and, and 10 minutes has, has whizzed by. Um, but what we'll do actually, um, considering we've only had one random question, um, we're going to do another one. Random question. Let me just walk over to the random question generator machine, tear off the slip. Uh, okay, here we go. If you could travel back in time, what year would you go to and why? If I traveled back in time, this is not going to be probably the answer that people are expecting. I think I would travel back in time to 1991 it was when i was a senior in high school and i was living in okinawa japan 
That's where I graduated high school. Okay. And it was probably one of my most favorite years as, as a child. And I always say that what brought me success in my athletic career was character. And I think that being stationed in Okinawa for, for the, my last three years of high school with my family is truly was character building. And it was like just one of the most best moments of my life. What a lovely way to, to wrap things up. That, that's wonderful. I certainly didn't expect that. I thought you might have, I, I, to be honest, I don't, there's a, a lot of time has happened up to this point. So God knows where you've gone, but you've gone back to 1991. <laughs> so it's absolutely, uh, no, that, what, what, and what a lovely way to wrap things up, especially with the, the kind of cyclical nature of the Olympics and also this year at being in, in, in Japan and, and you've got a couple of athletes out there, you're going to be involved in the broadcast. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun, but, but more importantly, um, for now, um, it's been a really lovely conversation. I know we've spoken in the past and actually I think it's worth reminding people that, um, we've, we've had this conversation before on another uh, broadcast, but when Kristen won the Olympic games in London, I pushed you off the ramp, didn't I? Yes, you did. And, yes, and uh, <laughs> I will never forget London and the spectators and the people around it. I'm oh, sure you're pushing me off the ramp. It was that not the most incredible. I've, I've never seen so many people at a, at, at a cycling event still to this day. No, I haven't either. Uh, it was overwhelming. Um, absolutely overwhelming. And, um, I think for everybody involved, you know, let alone yourself winning in the gold medal, it was it was un- unprecedented. It was, they're, they're very, very fond memories. And what I'll do when we put this podcast out, I'll try and dig out a picture of, um, of you on the start ramp um, of Olympic Games um, and just as a, a bit, of social, bit of social goal. But anyway, Christian, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll catch up sooner rather than later. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Amazing. What a really lovely chat that was. And if I was to do it all again, I think I'd want Kristen as my coach. All the best to our athletes, Emily Batty and Emma White, in their respective events at the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, which are taking place in 2021, just a few short days away from now, unless you listen to this podcast at some point in the future and already know the results. Please don't get in touch with me in the past and ruin it for me. Thanks. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod and why not recommend it to somebody wearing a dodgy old tracksuit from the 90s because you never know, there might be an Olympian who's finally plucked up the courage to wear it outside the Olympic Village for the very first time. And finally, a massive thanks again to Kristen for joining us on the podcast today. All the best to her and I hope she has a great time commentating on the Olympics over in the US. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye. Thank you.